Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. There is a lot in the news right now, which we're going to get into in just a moment. Ahmed Arbery's killers have been convicted of hate crimes. Putin is speaking. He's sending troops into Ukraine. Well, I'll fill you in on all that in just a moment. just wanted to let you know what's coming up on the show today. David K. Johnston is going to drop by, uh, the economics reporter, and talk about, well, answer the question, is Trump really going to go to jail? And former Congressman Joe Walsh will be with us. How do we stop a, a Trump race war? But I want to start out with just, you know, what's in the news. And first of all, the killers of Ahmaud Arbery were convicted. Uh, what's particularly interesting is that they only deliberated for two hours and then said, you know, we're going to pick this up in the morning. They picked it up in the morning, and boom. I mean, this was a slam dunk that uh, these guys, they were convicted of hate crimes and attempted kidnapping, and the McMichaels both uh, were convicted of a federal weapons violation. Uh, they, are all, they were all sentenced to a whole other bunch of life in prison sentences, although uh, Brian will be uh, eligible for parole after 30 years. And the family is celebrating this. This is, uh, in their minds, a good thing. Uh, the judge has to decide now whether the Arbery, whether the killers of uh, Arbery will will be sent to a federal prison. Uh, prisons are all hell holes, but the federal prisons tend to be a hell of a lot better than the Georgia prisons. Or maybe the way to say it is the Georgia prisons are a hell of a lot worse than the federal prisons. Or she will decide. The judge will decide that uh, they're going to be kept in the in the Georgia prisons for their first, you know. 20, 30 years, whatever, of their sentence, of their life sentences. And then when they serve those, they go to federal. You know, how this sentencing is going to shake out, I have not yet seen in the news. I'm guessing that we probably will learn. You know, sometimes they, they do the sentencing immediately after the jury reads its verdict. And sometimes they take, a, uh, you know, some time, some considerable time in some cases uh, to come down with the sentence. So we don't know. With regard to the Ukraine or Ukraine, I'm dating myself here. This situation is getting really hot really fast. As you know, Vladimir Putin announced that he's recognizing these two so-called rebel-held territories 
they're really areas that over the last uh, eight years or so, l large numbers of, of uh, you know, Russian-speaking, ethnically Russian uh, people have basically taken control of them, uh, taken down radio and television stations, seized control of the local governments, and they've been running them in, in many ways as if they were independent republics. And uh, Putin is saying, yeah, okay, we're going to recognize these as independent republics. He had their leaders come in and sign documents saying, da, 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 we're in charge. And now he's offering to send them peacekeepers to protect them from Ukraine. And uh, this is being characterized by the administration, and I think correctly, and by, the war by many in the world as an invasion of Ukraine. The, there's a bunch of things that could happen here. And uh, frankly, one of the largest is China. China, up to this point, has supported Russia. And of course, President Xi and President Putin just met in, in China, what, a week ago, week and a half ago? And we don't know how filled in on all this China is, whether they're going along with it. I, I wrote an op-ed about a month ago over at HartmanReport.com. It's titled, Is the Anti-Democracy Movement Reaching a Tipping Point in the U.S. and Around the World? And even though I wrote it a month ago, it's basically, you know, grounded in this conflict in Ukraine. And the question is, you know, is democracy going to survive? I mean, Freedom House reported last year that the share of democracies or countries designated not free has reached its highest level since the deterioration of democracy began in a big way worldwide around 2006. And countries with declines in political rights and civil liberties outnumbered those with gains by the largest margin recorded during the 15-year period that they've been doing these studies. They downgraded the freedom scores of 73 countries. Ukraine is a democracy. Russia is only theoretically a democracy, but not a full-functioning democracy. And this is, I think in many ways, this is the core of the, of the crisis for democracies around the world. There are these two competing worldviews, one that is held by Russia and China and many other countries, in fact, the majority of countries in the world, uh, population-wise, certainly, which is that democracy is nice to talk about, but we're the tough guys, we're the strong guys, we're in charge, and you're going to do what we say. Basically, autocratic governments, and there's a whole spectrum of them, from you know the communist governments like uh, South Vietnam to the uh, communist capitalist governments like China, to the uh, openly super capitalist oligarchic governments like Russia's. Um, I think to a certain extent, the credibility, fate, and future of democracy itself is part of what's going on here. And, and we need to pay attention to it. So what can the United States do? And what, and what might the world do? Well, first of all, I mentioned China a moment ago. China has been one of the strongest um, defenders of territorial integrity of nations historically at the United Nations for quite a, quite a long time. Now, they've done this, obviously, to protect their own interests, saying, you know, uh, <laughs> don't invade China. Uh, uh, you know, we're going to defend the right of Vietnam. I mean, this goes back to the Vietnam era. Uh, the Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, things like that. Will, in the United Nations... Will China stand up? Could this be a moment that separates Russia from China, or will this bind them closer together? I'm not sure anybody knows the answer to that question. Uh, it's a certainty that this thing is going to come up before the UN Security Council, probably this, you know, in the next couple of days, uh, maybe even today. 
Russia, of course, uh, starting in February, and I, I think it's already begun, I'm not quite certain, but I know in February of this year, Russia became the rotating president of the Security Council. Um, whether they've uh, taken on that position or not, I, I'm not certain of, but uh, whether they have or not, they have a veto. The Security Council only operates by consensus. You have to have a hundred, everybody has to agree or nothing happens. So even if a motion to censure Russia or something like that happens in the Security Council, Russia will veto it. But then it goes to the, to the larger body. And at that point, it's not consensus any longer. And uh, again, this would be a, a toothless proposition. But this would be the moment when chi China has to decide whose side they're on. Are they on the side of international order? That you know, could the boundaries of countries will be respected? Or are they on the side of basically Russia and Putin? And we'll see. We'll see. The U.S., uh, with regard to sanctions, there's a, a lot that can be done. Uh, we have, have already, we, right now, we have multiple sanctions on Russia. Some go back to the 2014 annexation of Crimea. Some go to Russia's in, military intervention in Syria. Uh, some go to human rights abuses and, and political stuff like the Navalny things. Um, none of those have been particularly draconian, but they're there. You know, they're, they're symbolic. But the one thing that the administration has actually talked about doing that would really uh, uh, bite Russia would be applying uh, export controls of U.S. technology. I think most people think this means that Russia can't buy stuff made in the United States. But what it actually means is that Russia can't buy stuff made with parts made in the United States. So, for example, uh, cell phones are made in South Korea and in Taiwan that are made even though they're manufactured there, they're made with uh, the, the, the super glass now that they're using on, on a lot of these phones is uh, made by Corning here in the United States. Uh, some of the semiconductors are made by Qualcomm. So if, if you know, we, we did this with Huawei, with a company, but we've not done this with a country in a consequential way. If we were to say Russia may not import things made with U.S. goods in them, then Taiwan, South Korea, some of these other countries would be barred from exporting goods that they manufactured but that have U.S. stuff in them to Russia. And that, technologically and, and consumer-wise, that could be a big hit. Uh, there's also talk about banning Russia from uh, Russian banks from using the SWIFT system, which is the system where banks, uh, international banks, settle their overnight uh, transactions or their ongoing transactions. Uh, this would be a huge blow to Russia. We have uh, done this uh, once before. It was done in 2012 to Iran, and it crippled their economy. Um, more than half the world's high-value cross-border financial uh, transactions use the SWIFT network. Um, so, you know, we'll see if that happens. Um, and then there are targeted sanctions on Russian oligarchs or Russian senior officials, the people that Putin relies on to keep in power. Um, so far, we have done that. We've never done this with Russia, but we have done personal sanctions with Bashar, Bashar al-Assad, uh, with Saddam Hussein, with Robert Mugabe, and with Slobodan Milosevic. If we were to include Putin and/or his oligarchs in that list, it could be a significant blow. I, I don't think that any of these things are going to be enough, though, to stop uh, Russia from wanting, from certainly from taking the Donbas. That looks like it's a done deal. And, and, and queuing up to take the rest of Ukraine. Keep in mind, Ukraine is one of the five largest producers of wheat in the world. It is the largest country geographically in the European Union. It's huge. 
and they have and and you know the, one of the largest pipelines for Russian oil and natural gas from Russia to Europe goes through Ukraine. Now Russia started dialing back the movement of uh, fossil fuels through those pipelines in January last month, presumably in anticipation of this. But will you know what's going to happen with that? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. I've got some more information on military aid, U.S. troops, and the energy war. I'll share that with you on the other side of this break. Stick around. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Is the anti-democracy movement reaching a tipping point in the U.S. and around the world? We'll be right back. Dennis in Aptos, California. Hey, Dennis, what's on your mind today? Yeah, I wanted to uh, relate to your story. Last week on one of the Pacifica Radio shows in the morning, this was on KPFA, they had a guest a guy who actually was uh, Russian-born. Didn't sound like it, though. He almost sounded like yeah. a... Dennis, English let me just say right speaker. up front, I don't want to be litigating the content of any other radio stations. I mean, you know, if you want to talk about an issue, fine. If you want to, if you want to jump all over a radio station for carrying a guest that you disagree with, I'm going to hang up. Okay, I won't. Then I could just say that I'll bring up a couple of points then, and you can imagine the discussion. First off... Belarus is a Putin puppet state. Belarus is now occupied by Russia. I mean, Putin has taken Belarus. He got in there by saying, hey, we need to stage some troops here. Lushenko said, okay, cool. And now he's saying, oh, by the way, we're not leaving. When you got 30,000 troops in a country the size of Belarus, it's no longer an independent country. Yeah, and then there's Moldova. And then two weeks ago, Orban met with Putin. I don't know if you know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, and of course, Hungary is a NATO state. Right. We know Erdogan and Putin have pretty good relations. Right. Turkey is a NATO right. state. Yeah. I would, and, I would and part of the that, EU. Yeah, and I would say that Turkey and Hungary aren't to be trusted. Yep. Serbia is always on Russia's side. The reason I'm bringing this up is because you have people on the far left, and, you know, we've got, you know, people on the right, of course, that have taken Russia's side now. But people on the far left, who sometimes I, I agree with and a lot of times I don't because I'm not that far left. I don't think it's far left. I, I know what you're talking about and who you're talking about. And I've seen these arguments. You know, what would you do if Russia was, you know, uh, putting troops on the Mexican border? Exactly. This is, you know, the U.S. and Mexico are not Europe. <laughs> Europe. Yeah. And, you know, we haven't had two world wars here. We don't. I mean, it's just it is such a, frankly, stupid and simplistic comparison that, well, yeah. I, you know, I just dismiss it out of hand. Sure. But, you know, the thing is, they're also making a big deal about all these countries that have been added to NATO. I just mentioned, too, that I can't that I don't think can be trusted because they've basically become fascist dictatorships. And uh, no, that a, there uh, are no, you're pushing. Yeah. There, and then, yeah. And, you know, I, I don't think Al- Albania, I don't know where they are politically, but, you know, Serbia always on Russia's side. Well, Serbia uh, is, is kind of ethnically Russian. Right. It's a it's a, you know, a country with a high, very high Slavic population. But, you know, I, yeah. I, I just want to be very clear. I am not in favor of war and I'm I'm supportive yeah, of the Biden administration saying we're not going to go in with uh, with troops, realizing that that probably means that Kiev's days are numbered. But, you know, I don't yeah. think this is worth fighting World War Three over. On the other hand, it's wrong and, and everything short of war that can be done, I think probably should be done. 
Well, there's a second side to this, and it has to do with renewable energy, because Russia is a state that exports fossil fuels. And uh, it's, it's, a, think, it's the majority I, of their economy. Or, yeah, or and, you know, if there's, a, if, if there's a reason to go to, get, get, you know, go to electric cars and everything else renewable, this is the time. I think Biden should be mentioning that. Yes. That, you know, unfortunately, Russia is behind the times. Yeah. And, 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 and helping drive up the price too. of oil. Yeah. Thank you, Dennis. Uh, good, good talking to you. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two ends, or enter the code Hartman, the two ends, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And so just to finish up, we have recently shipped 300 Javelin missiles to uh, between the U.S. And, and Europe to Ukraine's military. This in just the last few weeks, this is sometimes referred to as lethal aid. Uh, we're sending them anti-tank weapons, air defense systems, small arms, medical assistance, spare parts. Great summary of this, by the way, over at uh, grid.news. Uh, by Joshua Keating, their global security uh, guy. I'm, in fact, I'm, I just the, the last sentence I just shared with you, I read from that. And we have been supplying them with intelligence. In fact, we've been flying reconnaissance planes over eastern Ukraine for quite some time now. And Ukraine has been stockpiling drones from Turkey, which is, you know, a big deal, like ready for war. Uh, we also have U.S. forces and CIA paramilitaries that have been training Ukrainian forces both in the U.S. and in Ukraine. I frankly don't know if there are any U.S. forces in Ukraine right now uh, as a consequence of that, but there certainly have been in the past. And we've put 8,500 troops in the U.S. on high alert. NATO's 
rapid response force is 40,000 people, which kind of pales in comparison to uh, Russia's 190,000 on the Ukrainian border, but there it is. And we are sending troops to Poland and, and Romania, according to President Biden. The big, the big kicker here is that the EU imports 41% of its natural gas and 27% of its oil from Russia, which puts the EU in a real bind. And then, you know, now you've got uh, Bob Menendez, the Democrat from New Jersey, in the U.S. Senate pushing legislation to do even more draconian sanctions than those that I've already named. So we'll see how this all plays out. This, this, this is, uh, you know, my take on what's going on and, and just a summary. My piece uh, over at Hartman Report today is titled Performance Art is All the Republican Party Has Left. And, you know, it's, it, it opens with this quote from Hillary Clinton at the, at the Democratic Party's, uh, New York Democratic Party's meeting last week. She said, Republicans will claim they're on the side of parents and family values, but they will do nothing for actual parents or families, nothing on child care, nothing on paid leave, nothing to help working moms and dads get by and, and get ahead. And, and now you've got a U.S. trucker convoy going. Well, you know, the ones in Canada were protesting a, a federal vaccine mandate. But, you know, here in the United States, there is no federal man mandate. What are they protesting? Who knows, right? It's all performance art. And I go through this whole list of what the Republican Party is, is doing that is just basically all performance art. J.D. Vance and his rants and everything else. It's really pretty pathetic. It's also, I think, a very unhealthy thing for our country. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. On the line with us is uh, Joe Walsh. Joe is the, uh, uh, the host of White Flag with Joe Walsh on Apple Podcasts and, and elsewhere. He's the former U.S. congressman from Illinois' 8th District, former presidential candidate, the author of uh, F-Word Silence, calling Trump out for the cultish, moronic, authoritarian con man he is, former Republican, now an independent. And uh, Walsh Freedom is his Twitter handle. Uh, Joe, welcome back to the program. It's been a long time since we've talked. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you have asserted that Donald Trump is out there literally trying to start a race war. Uh, a, you want to back that up, and B, what do we do about it? Hey, Tom, good to be with you. I, I don't know what we can do about it. To me, it's part and parcel of Trump and this Republican Party, my former party, literally trying to attack and destroy our democracy. Uh, they'll succeed, I believe, if enough Americans don't rise up to defend our democracy. That's the question. So, wow. Uh, within the Republican Party, I mean, I'm assuming that you still have friends and acquaintances who are Republicans and, and people in the Republican yes. Party. Within the Republican Party, there is this growing, uh, I don't know if backlash is the right word, uh, to Trump. Um, how do you see this playing out? It, my, my sense of it, I wrote an op-ed about this a week ago uh, or, or thereabouts, um, saying that I think, you know, Trump is going down. I think he's going to go down hard, and I think he's going to take a chunk of the Republican Party with him. Um, and I'm not sure wh what the Republican Party does after that. Does it just go back to being basically the, you know, the party of billionaires and corporations, you know, like it traditionally has been since since uh, the 1920s, you know, the end of the Teddy Roosevelt era? Or, or, or does it become something else? I mean, what, you're an independent now, but what are you seeing for your former party? And how is it going to handle with this? Yeah, 
Uh, Tom, I'll fight your premise, and you're more optimistic than I am that Trump is going to go down. I'm in a unique position because, remember, I voted for Trump in 2016. I come from the party base, the populist base. Tom, I still hear on a daily basis from hundreds of Republican Party base voters every day. Trump's hold on this party is stronger now than it was a year ago. His hold on the party, I believe, is stronger than it was before the insurrection. So I don't see Trump going down. If Trump wants the nomination in 2024, it will be his. No other Republican will challenge him. If he's in jail, then maybe he can't run. But if he's indicted, that will only strengthen him. But, but he's right now. Go ahead. But but the Republican Party is shrinking. I mean, you know, the, the percentage of people who identify themselves as Republicans has, you know, notwithstanding uh, efforts in Florida to sign to, to, to change people's registration. But, you know, the party, the party, the number of people who call themselves Republicans has been declining steadily, particularly over the last year and a half or so. Uh, I, I don't see how Donald Trump could ever get elected. And now you've got Mitch McConnell and a group of Senate Republicans and, and a few others who are basically launching a movement to say no. Hey, hey, respectfully, Mitch McConnell has no sway among Republican Party voters out there. Look, look let's be clear again. You're right. Uh, the Republican Party, I have said, is a dying national party. It's a bunch of middle-aged and older white people, and they're going to die and the party's not replacing itself. I agree it's a dying national party, but the Republican Party's gonna win back the House this fall. They will probably win back the Senate this fall. And even though the party's shrinking, Tom, Trump's hold on the party is stronger. He will be the nominee in 24 if he wants it. And I, I, I'll fight with you a little bit. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he wouldn't get reelected. He lost in 2020 by about 50,000 votes in only three states. It was real close. Joe Biden's not getting any younger. What Democrat could beat Trump? I think he's still a clear and present danger to become president again. Wow. You're a hell of a lot more pessimistic than I am, Joe. Yes. What, but, I, but, but, but in my defense, Tom, I hear from hundreds sometimes thousands of Republican Party voters every day. That's the world I come from. If you listen to what I heard every day, I think you'd be as pessimistic as I am. Yeah. So Robert Reich uh, laid out today in his, he, he, he's got a great little newsletter over on Substack. And uh, he, he laid out in his newsletter today, he said, first, it's likely that job growth between now and November, this is looking at this coming election in, in November, the job growth is going to continue to grow. Uh, second, inflation will begin edging down as people start buying services and uh, the demand for goods softens a little. Fourth, uh, tensions will continue or escalate with Russia. And even if Russia invades Ukraine, there'll be a rally around the president, which means the Democrats sense. Fifth, he says, uh, Democrats will almost certainly pass Build Back Better in some form uh, this spring. Sixth, he says the courts are pushing back against Republican gerrymandering. Seventh, he says, uh, the, the, the Supreme Court this spring is going to destroy Roe v. Wade. Eighth, he says, the January 6th committee is going to open, you know, have open hearings. 
And, uh, and ninth, in light of this report, he says, in desperate to keep the 2024 Republican nomination for himself, Trump will increase the volume and intensity of his wacko conspiracy theories and lies. And, you know, he, he adds all that up to Democratic victories this November. You, you think that Democrats are going to be wiped out this November. What do you base that on? I respect Robert Reich a lot, even though I disagree with him on a number of policies. I respect him. But no, Tom, you talk to any Republican or Democrat in D.C. right now, any Republican or Democrat in Congress, you go based off of what they're hearing and what the polls show. And the polls universally right now show that the Republicans are going to take back the House, that they are much more enthusiastic to vote. I think Biden's gotten a really bad rap on how the American people feel right now. But they're blaming Biden and they're blaming the Democrats. Tom, I think something pretty dramatically has to change. Some sort of a, 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 an event or the, the American people feeling like we're beyond COVID and their economic situation has changed for the Democrats to turn this around. Yeah, right well, now, there's too big of an enthusiasm gap. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that Reich is pointing out. He, he believes is going to happen. Um, to the how much of this, in your mind, Joe? We're talking with former Congressman Joe Walsh, by the way, who, who does a, a, a podcast over on Apple called White Flag with Joe Walsh um, and uh, Walsh Freedom on Twitter. Uh, Joe, how much of how much of Trump's juice, in your opinion, is that you know when Richard Nixon laid out his Southern strategy, it was dog whistle. Um, you know, when when George Herbert Walker Bush did it with the Willie Horton ads, it was, you know, dog bullhorn, but it was still, quote, in code. Uh, I mean, everybody got it. But but then Trump just came right out and said it, you know, that, yeah, he's a racist. And, you know, he talked about asshole countries and all this other stuff. How much of what's going on here right now between Republicans and Democrats and, and, the, and the control and dominance of the Republican Party, particularly in white rural states, has to do with race in your mind? It's a part. It's a piece. And I, and I can't deny that, Tom. I come from the Tea Party. Part of the Tea Party movement was racist as well. I've acknowledged that. But, but really, Tom, what it is is uh, the Republican Party base wants 1953 or 1954 America back. Part of that is racial, but the bulk of it isn't. Uh, and Trump came along and he's a demagogue and he said, I'll bring back 1953 America. I'll get rid of all these trade deals. We'll build a wall, a wall around America. We'll make uh, our cars here. We'll bring back clean coal. I'll, I'll let you say Merry Christmas again. Men will marry men and women will wear, marry women. The Republican Party base wants that America back. Race is part of it. And, and but, but Trump demagogued the whole thing. Yeah. Do you, do you think that there's I mean, if the Republicans take control, are, are they going to roll back? I, I'm guessing you're assuming that they will actually succeed in rolling back laws that allow. I mean, pre-1965, it was a felony in many states for a married couple to have birth control. It wasn't until 1972 that possession of birth control by unmarried people was legalized in the United States by the Supreme Court. 73, you had Roe v. Wade. Um, you know, we've, we've, we now have gay marriage. Are, are you suggesting that the Republican base wants to roll back all that stuff and there's a chance they can pull it off? 
No, the base wants to roll back a lot of that stuff, Tom, but no way can Republicans in Congress pull it off because you still have Joe Biden in the White House. When the Republicans take back the House and or the Senate, they're going to spend two years, Tom, uh, of tossing up BS investigations of Biden and the Democrats. That's what they've already signaled. That's what they did to Hillary. Exactly. And, and, And truthfully, Tom, even though the base believes in a lot of this stuff, Uh, bringing back 1953 America. Most of my former Republican colleagues in the House, they don't believe any of this. Their only job is to make Trump happy. So they'll investigate the hell out of the Democrats and they'll try to set the table for Trump or somebody else. If Trump runs in 2024, if he's elected, I mean, you're building a case here that that's not just a possibility, but um, a likelihood. Um, And if he's elected, does that mean, in your mind, the end of democracy in America? I see him as just going full Viktor Orban, you know, continuing to pack the courts with his toadies uh, at every level of government, replacing people with his toadies, um, you know, embracing oligarchs in the United States and putting them basically in charge of everything. Uh, You know, people, oligarchs who are aligned with him, banishing oligarchs who aren't aligned with him, prosecuting them, going after them. Are you seeing that same sort of possibility for this country? Oh, Tom, my brother, I agree. All of that and more. I mean, uh, the the four years we had of Trump, imagine a reelected Trump, and it will be those four years on steroids. Yeah. He's a criminal, Tom. You know that. I know that. Yeah. And he, he got away with it all. So, yeah, uh, watch the barn door. Uh, it'll, it'll come down. I want to just push on one point. I don't know that there's a likelihood that he gets reelected. I think if Donald Trump is the Republican nominee in 24, it's 50-50 whether he gets reelected. Yeah, and, and a lot's going to depend on who the Democrats put up against him. Uh, and they got their issues. Yeah. They got their issues, Tom. You betcha. I agree. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, good talking to you. Joe Walsh, uh, host of White Flag with Joe Walsh on podcasts, uh, wherever you find your fine podcasts, also Apple Podcasts. Uh, former U.S. Congressman from Illinois' 8th District, uh, Walsh Freedom on Twitter. Joe, thanks a lot for dropping by. Always great Tom, I love coming on with you. Thank you. Thank you. Back at you. So what do you think? Democrats going to win? Republicans going to win? If Republicans win, what happens? How does this play out in this country? Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Jim in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Yeah, regarding uh, your guest, Joe Walsh. You mm-hmm. know, I used to listen to Joe Walsh. He was my favorite. But this guy here, I'm sorry, Tom, too, you gave him softball questions and didn't. This guy's a blithering idiot. He wasn't making any sense about what's going on. So and, you know, instead of just attacking him, Jim, Trump, tell me Tom. tell me what you're, you know, specifically, what was wrong? What the did he say that was wrong? closing in on Trump right now. Listen to Glenn Kirshner. Listen to Malcolm Nance. The doors are closing in on this guy. He is going to be, he's possibly going to be, he's already on the broke side. He's broke. But, but he's here's the thing, Jim. A, well, A, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I mean, he's raised a couple hundred million dollars and hasn't given a penny to a Republican candidate. So I think that he's, he's running the most successful and, and financially grift of his lifetime right now. But... Yeah, the doors are closing in on him, but, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu got reelected twice after he was indicted. Yeah, well, that's Israel, and that's a smaller country, and they have different ways. I, I don't think so. I think, you know, it's just another democracy, and it's how right-wingers work in democracies. I, I, I think Joe is right that if Trump is, if he's in prison, it, ch- it does change the equation. But I don't think that, you know, it's, it, it takes a while to get some, put somebody in prison. I, he, I he could be indicted, and that might just be the thing that his base, you know, that, that turns his base into absolute fanatics. Well, Tom, here you go. We've been talking a lot, and I agree with you that we've all been a little uh, disturbed with with Merrick Garland's activity so far in the year plus that he's been in office. But you know what? That man is is putting his ducks in a row. And we're going to be having live hearings pretty soon on the January 6th hearing. Believe me, the stuff is going to start hitting the fan. I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you, Jim. Uh, and, yeah. and, and that's the point that I was making with Joe. But, um, but Joe caused me to, gave me some pause, let's say. Uh, Jim, thanks a lot for the call. call from a, a listener after talking with Joe Walsh saying that, you know, if Trump doesn't go to jail, if the Democrats don't get their act together, or at least the criminal justice system in this country doesn't get their act together, he's seeing the enthusiasm for the Democratic Party collapsing. So let's ask probably the most well-informed and smartest guy in this whole realm who has been watching Donald Trump most of his career, who is one of the most brilliant economics reporters uh, operating, Pulitzer Prize recipient, distinguished visiting lecturer at the College of Law at the Whitman School of Management at Syracuse University, the author of eight books, including his latest, The Big Cheat, How Donald Trump Fleeced America and Riched Himself and His Family, David K. Johnston. DCReport.org, by the way, his website, David K. J uh, on Twitter or at DC Report Media. 
David, welcome back. So the question, let me just lay it out. Is Donald Trump really going to jail? And if so, how and when? I don't know if he'll actually go to jail. He's a man of 75 with no priors, even though he's done many things for which he should have priors. And typically, uh, people in their 70s with no priors don't get jail time. But he will be indicted for sure in Manhattan. Uh, I expect there'll be a New York State racketeering charge called Article 460. Uh, the person running the grand jury there, Mark Pomerantz, is the number one legal expert in America on uh, racketeering. And he didn't give up his very lucrative private practice for a government salary to uh, do a case that wasn't going anywhere. Right. Uh, he probably will be indicted in Fulton County, Georgia, where the, a judge has approved a special grand jury over his threats against Brad Raffsenberger if he didn't wrongfully declare that Donald won the election. And of course, he has a whole host of civil actions against him that are going to cost him a fortune in paying lawyers, perhaps in damages, and certainly in time and emotional turmoil. So uh, if he's indicted, what does that mean? I mean, I, I, I know what a criminal indictment is, but I mean, does that mean that he is on the verge of losing all his businesses? Is he going to end up, you know, if he doesn't go to jail, is he going to end up having to buy a, you know, $100,000 suburban house and <laughs> living like an average person? Um, I mean, or uh, what? How, how much can he keep? How much can he hang on to? What, what will be the consequences of this? The potential, and I emphasize its potential, worst case scenario for Trump economically, is that he loses everything he has except for his presidential and union pensions, which Congress protects from creditors. That's why O.J. Simpson, while in prison, collected, I think it was about $600,000 from his NFL pension uh, and he continued uh, to collect that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, the New York State Attorney General, Letitia James, who has civil but not criminal authority in the case she's pursuing, could well seek to dissolve the Trump Organization with its 515 subordinate businesses. This is, this is a very rare penalty to, to kill a corporation. But uh, corporations are creatures of the state. The government can eliminate them. And it's happened to Donald twice before. He had to shut down his fake university and pay $25 million in restitution. And his charitable foundation, which he used as a personal cookie jar, he had to make restitution of a couple million dollars there. And it was shut down. And I expect that the New York State Attorney General will probably seek an order to dissolve the Trump Organization uh, as a fraudulent operation posing as a legitimate business. During Trump's presidency, we had the Mueller investigation that, uh, you know, where the FBI was looking into his behavior around uh, his attempts to have Russia manipulate the elections on his behalf. Um, uh, maybe I shouldn't use the word attempt. <laughs> it appears like it actually happened. And, and uh, you know, they came up with 10 examples uh, they, you know, they didn't they didn't speak to his indictability with regard to the crime. Correct me if I'm if I'm wrong on that, but I believe that's the case. But they did say that he tried to block the investigation and cover up the crime. And they've got ten, they had 10 examples of obstruction of justice there for which he could be prosecuted. So that's already on the table, arguably. Um, uh, what about the Justice Department? I mean, you're mentioning the Attorney General for, you know, Letitia James for the state of New York. You, you mentioned the, the, uh, the district attorney or the attorney, I guess it's the DA in, in Fulton County. Um, but what about the DOJ? Well, let me deal with Mueller first, okay. if I can. The first sentence of the Mueller report is that the Russians manipulated and interfered in our election. 
There's no question that they did this, and there's no question that Donald Trump invited them to do this in public statements repeatedly, as well as his son, his son-in-law, his campaign manager, who had long been on the payroll of Russian interests, taking a meeting at Trump Tower that they lied and denied about. Right, and they benefited from it. That's right. And we only learned what long after the Mueller report and the nonsense claims of Attorney General Bill Barr that Mueller was severely constrained as to what he was allowed to pursue. But yes, there are, well, the report doesn't say 10 examples of obstructing justice. Lawyers with experience on both the prosecution and defense side have identified 10 cases that could have been brought for obstruction of justice. So that brings us to uh, Merrick Garland, the attorney general. Like uh, Robert Mueller, he is a Boy Scout, an absolute straight, true arrow guy. He clearly does not want the federal government to bring a, a criminal charge against a prior American president. Now, he may do so, but uh, I'd be surprised at this point if he does. Um, I think he is hoping that state governments, local prosecutors, will take care of this problem and not open that can of worms. You know, it's not unheard for this to happen. The former presidents of Mexico, France, and right now today, Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, are all being prosecuted for crimes that they committed, or at least it's alleged they committed. While in office. While in office. And Donald Trump did many things in office. The big cheat lays out all sorts of things that uh, could be prosecuted, not just for Trump, but for uh, uh, Jared and Ivanka, for uh, Elaine Chow, who is Mitch McConnell's wife and was transportation secretary, and for Wilbur Ross, who is up to his eyeballs with Putin and his criminal friends and ran the Commerce Department where he lied and denied about all sorts of things. Including the including the, um, uh, the the census, the U.S. census. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm, you've you've identified the failure of the Trump organization. I'm assuming you know. I mean, I I, I haven't heard that Donald Trump's name was in that credit squeeze, uh, uh, you know, data dump. But I'm assuming that he has stashed at least some of his money someplace where it can't be touched. And my understanding is that Florida bankruptcy laws are such that uh, you can keep your principal residence. And of course, his principal right. residence being Mar-a-Lago, um, that's worth, that's an asset that he could live off of for the rest of his life, um, one would think. Um, so A, if you could speak to that, you know, how broke sure. might he become? But B, the thing that really fascinates me is that Jared and Ivanka, you know, after Jared was doing this so-called shuttle diplomacy in the Middle East, um, now you've got uh, uh, the Saudis coming in and saying, we're going to, uh, apparently we're going to, pour a whole pile of money on to, into Donald Trump, you know, to, to help him out with this Saudi golf tour. You got Jared raising almost a billion dollars from these, you know, the, the Middle Eastern sovereign wealth funds. Um, he's, he, he, is, is that going to impact, uh, and I, I have no idea what the financial status of Don Jr. and Eric is, but to what extent is his family, are his his kids, who I see as every bit as much grifters and parts of a criminal crime family uh, as, as Trump himself, to what extent are they going to be affected by all this? Well, let's go to Mar-a-Lago first. Uh, you're correct about Florida bankruptcy law that you are allowed to keep your house no matter how much money it has. Uh, when Bowie Kuhn, the former baseball commissioner, knew his law firm was going to uh, go bankrupt and he would personally he put his money 
into a Florida house, but there are limits on how much you can protect. And Donald's house, Mar-a-Lago, probably doesn't qualify because he rents out rooms. It's also a hotel. So I suspect Florida bankruptcy law won't protect him there. Hmm. Um, in addition, uh, creditors are starting to line up and are going to come after Trump, and uh, they're going to seek to recover as best they can from his properties, which are nowhere near the you know the shape he claims of fabulous properties, fabulous profits, huge amounts of cash. You can't believe anything Donald says about that stuff. Right. Um, Jared was in very deep financial trouble during the campaign in 2016. And once uh, Donald Trump was uh, uh, elected by the Electoral College, not the popular vote, he tried to make a deal with the Qatar government. The Qatar's where America has its uh, most important military base in the Middle East. They are essentially better allies of us than any other Arab country. And the Qataris uh, looked at the request for $800 million for a property that wasn't worth that much money and said, you know, we're really rich, but we're not really stupid. They turned him away. And as soon as Donald Trump got in office, he began to take the side of the Saudis and the Emiratis, who are very worried about Qatar because it's not a draconian, uh, literally take your head off for praying for a better government. Oh, and, they, and they sponsor Al Jazeera. That's right. And and they're not they're not perfect. But uh, the Qataris sponsor two terrorist organizations, the Saudis, about 60. And Donald immediately took up the side of the Saudis. He attacked Qatar. He called it a terrorist uh, country. Uh, U.S. policy immediately shifted to favoring a blockade against Qatar, which gets most of its wealth from providing natural liquefied natural gas to Europe. And so basically, oh, and the Saudis then ended up bailing out the Kushner family. And my contention is that, uh, unsurprisingly, Jared Kushner submarined American national security for his own financial interests. And I think there are a number of areas where he's vulnerable, but we're not seeing a federal investigation of him, as I believe we should. Hmm. Interesting. We've got about 40 seconds left, David. What what might... Uh, people listening to this program be able to do to encourage a federal investigation into Jared? Well, you can certainly uh, go to the Justice Department website and they take comments there and the White House, but I don't expect that will happen. The thing to do is be patient. There's five million pages of documents the Manhattan Grand Jury's going through. Once they are finished, I'm pretty sure they will shape a powerful case that should result in the conviction of Donald Trump as what he is a racketeer. Do you think that will uh, kill his chances of being president again? Well, once Donald Trump is indicted, uh, the chances he'll become president again, I think, fall away. And I think one of the big questions we need to see is, are the American people really so ignorant as to put the Republicans in power in November in Congress? Yeah. I, I, I don't think that's a foregone conclusion, even though many Democrats seem to think I, I think you could argue this eventually took down Netanyahu, but he made it through at least one election cycle under indictment. Yeah. So, Danny, David K. Johnson, DCReport.org, David K. J. on Twitter. David, thank you. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome back. So Axios is reporting that uh, people are tuning out of national news since the end of the Trump administration. In a way, this is kind of a good news, bad news scenario. The good news is that people are not as freaked out about what's going on as they were during the four years that, you know, we had a, a, a mob boss in the White House, uh, a mob boss who was, you know, deeply embedded with a whole bunch of foreign oligarchies that, that had been historically supporting, apparently, his business or laundering money through it, as time will tell, we'll find out. Uh, but we're, you know, for example, in November of 2020, 69% of Democrats were paying, quote, close attention to the news or, quote, a great deal of attention to national news. Uh, this month, it was 34%. And now, the same thing is happening with Republicans, but at a much lower level. Uh, it's, a, it's a more marginal decline. And, and by the way, independents who vote Democratic are also down. Uh, this, the decline among Democrats, 18 to 34. Young Democrats is staggering. Roughly a quarter, 24%, only pay a great deal of attention to news compared to 70% of them back in 2020. I'm wondering if this is, you know, not just Trump anxiety, but that the bullies, the you know, the Mitch McConnell's bullying tactics, the the you know, right-wing billionaires basically buying off Kirsten Cinema. And, uh, and, and Joe Manchin, you know, going his way. If, if, this, if this strategy of kneecapping President Biden or any Democratic president when they're in office, I mean, we've been seeing this ever since Newt Gingrich came into Congress when Bill Clinton was president. Uh, the idea of, you know, when it, it, it used to be country first, party second. But since the Gingrich revolution, it's been, well, arguably since the Reagan revolution, it's been party first, country second. And... I, I, I'm just trying to figure this out. I mean, is this how bullies win? Are you tuning out on the news? Do you find that your friends are? Are you hearing this? Do you think that this is the, the direction that this country is going? My sense of it is that a lot of it has to do with Trump being gone. But I'm not sure. And uh, anyhow, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. Teresa in Augusta, Georgia. Hey, Teresa, what's on your mind today? Uh, hi. I just wondered if anybody ever considered the fact that because Americans tend to have such a 10-second attention span, that when this explode over here, regardless of what we were dealing with before, tends to be pushed to the side. And I think that, and I just need to know someone else's opinion. So are you, are you speculating, Teresa, that the whole Ukraine thing is somehow politically advantageous to one side or the other in the United States? Is that your point? Yeah, I think it, it because it seems like as the evidence is coming out against Trump and, and his gang, it tends to seem like things are happening somewhere else to focus the media and the people's attention on that. Yeah. I mean, they talk about Ukraine for what eighty percent of the newscast. Yeah. We get a few little drops of 
what's really going on here. I, you I know, think it's America. I was just wondering if is it just me sitting around thinking like this? No, I mean, I'm 60 it's... years old, and I I mean I've seen a lot happen in this world, and being a fe- single female black woman. I've seen a lot happening in this world, and I think when something really needs to be addressed, the public's attention is diverted purposely to something else because something else is happening. It's important, and it does affect us. I understand that. Yeah. But, no, no, I mean, I, I, how I, are you going to clean somebody else's front step if your, if your house is filthy? Yeah, and and that's by the way, that's the problem that uh, Anthony Blinken, our Secretary of State, and and President Biden have right now is that you know we violated the territorial integrity of Afghanistan and Iraq. Afghanistan, the reasons were sketchy. Iraq, the reasons were non-existent. And so to sit around and play high and mighty about you know Russia and Ukraine is pretty tough. On the one hand, on the other hand, you know, the whole international community, which, by the way, was many of the international community were very upset about the invasion of Iraq also is mm-hmm. is concerned about this. But but I don't I, I don't think that Russia is doing what they're doing at the time that they're doing it in the way that they're doing it in a way that has anything to do with Donald Trump. Donald Trump obviously has you know been in tight with oligarchs from all around the world oligarchs from russia oligarchs from kazakhstan oligarchs from saudi arabia i mean you know anybody who's who's got some money that you know they want to invest in u.s real estate or launder as the case may be um trump has been there for them and 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 his obeisance you know his uh, i mean look at helsinki where he was just like he was uh it was it was sad but but uh, Teresa, i think uh, thank you for the call i think to to suggest that a foreign government is doing this as a way of interfering in U.S. politics is a stretch, I, you know, uh, frankly. And welcome back. So uh, here's the summary of what uh, President Biden said. He said that uh, Russia, the Russia's action is, quote, a flagrant violation of international law, demands a firm response from the international community. He said that the United States is imposing, quote, full blocking on two large Russian financial institutions and, quote, comprehensive sanctions, end quote, on Russia's debt, on uh, Russia's ability to sell bonds. He, he goes on to say, and I quote, that means we've cut off Russia's government from Western finance. It can no longer raise money from the West and cannot trade on its new debt on our markets or European markets either. Uh, he goes on to say that the United States would impose sanctions on Russian elites and their families. And, uh, and uh, you know, well, we'll see where this goes. I, I'm, I'm guessing that President Putin saw this coming and has worked out a deal with the Chinese and to finance it. Well, but I don't know. I mean, we'll just we'll just have to wait and see. So, back to your phone calls here, Bruce in Nicolette, Minnesota. Hey, Bruce, what's up? Hey, Tom, second time caller. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I got a question for you. Yep. One question is, how do we get UN boots on the ground, and how long is it going to take to get them there? It would take a resolution of the UN Security Council, and I'm pretty sure Russia would veto that. Yeah, they would veto it, wouldn't they? Yeah, they I would, would have. Yeah, 
Putin is a Cold War Stalinist. Kill moose, kill squirrel. I've been watching this guy since he first showed up on TV. Well, he's, he's going to take his opportunities. He's going to take his opportunities when he knows he can when he can gamble on it. Well, and, and you could argue from you know his point of view or from the Russian point of view, he'd be crazy not to. And that's that's why, you know, I I think that you could argue that Donald Trump for four years, and this is the argument that Fiona Hill is making, that for four years, Donald Trump withheld any sort of financial or military aid to Ukraine from the United States while they were begging for it, because Zelensky would not lie to the world and say that that uh, Joe Biden or Hunter Biden were up to up to no good. And, uh, you know, we can lay a lot of this at that feet. Bruce, thanks for the call. Rudy in Bullhead City, Arizona. Hey, Rudy, what's on your mind today? Mr. Tom, first of all, thank you for being you. You're the quintessential Democrat. We need you. We love you. Stay healthy, brother. Okay. Thanks, Rudy. I'll do my best. What's okay. up? Everybody, don't forget, in, in 2018, when those seven Republican senators went to Moscow on the 4th of July. Yeah. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah Ron Johnson was among them. I don't remember the yeah. rest of the list. but I'm out here in western Arizona. The level of I don't know if it's stupidity. I don't know what to call it. It's, uh, it's just mind-boggling how, how stupid they are. I, I, when your show is on, Alex Jones is on at the same time. Mm-hmm. I listen to him in between parts of your show. Mm-hmm. I think everybody should do that. Just, just to get an idea of <laughs> get where a glimpse, they're at. Get a, a glimpse of what the other side is saying. Yeah, it's, it's I, unbelievable, Tom. I know. I, I know. I you know. I Alex has been on my show. Uh, I don't think I've ever been on his, but yeah, he, he, he's pushing. He's pushing the boundaries, shall we say? You have no um, idea. Yeah, but uh, anyhow, Rudy, I got to move along. Thank you for the call. It's good to hear from you, Keith, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey, Keith, what's up? Hi, I was just calling to say there was an African American lady. And I think you misunderstood what she was saying. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but she was saying that Ukraine was a red flag to the affairs that are happening here. And the fact that Trump has all these things coming down to him now, suddenly, uh, you know, the news media is focusing so much on Ukraine and what's happening there and, and how they might lose their eastern side. It was the news media swerve, and it might have come from the administration, you know, she's saying that every time there's something like this in this country, the attention is always pushed somewhere else. I get it. No, I I understood what she was saying. I think it's coincidence. And I think that the hellfire that's going to rain down on Donald Trump has not yet begun. I think that's going to happen when the January 6th committee starts holding public hearings in a month or two. True, true. I understand that. So I'm, I'm, um, I'm just it, assuming it, that I'm it's coincidence. I'm even frustrated by that. <laughs> I get you. I get you. Keith, I got to run. Thank you so much for the call. And thank you for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place, you know, God willing. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us as, as the world is struggling, as democracies around the world are struggling in the face of autocracy. Uh, We need to get our, we need to revive our democracy. We need to strengthen our democracy against the forces inside the United States who want to tear down our democracy and replace it with an autocracy. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a good afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you and stay safe. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 